This is Danielle Smith. This is Tammy Peterson. This is Alex Craner. This is Curtis Stone. This is Tom Luongo, and you're listening to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, folks. How are you doing today? Happy Wednesday. Uh, a little hump day, shall we? Um, now, this um, episode, I, I want to forewarn. Uh, we, we, if you haven't signed up for Substack, we first released it on Substack on Friday. So um, you got it a little earlier than uh, than needed. With the premiere coming in, normally Tom and Alex release a, a roughly a day or two later. But with the premiere coming in on the weekend, uh, we bumped it. So what we did is we released it on, on Substack. So if you want to follow along with any time there's a change on the podcast, Substack is the best possible way. Go down in the show notes. You'll see it there. Okay, that, that aside, Silver Gold Bull, North America's premier Premier, pre- holy boo to boo to boo. How are you doing this morning, Sean? How are you doing this morning, folks? North America's premier precious metals dealer. They got state-of-the-art distribution centers in Calgary and Las Vegas, and they insure fast, fully insured, discreet shipping right to your doorstep. They got a run, a, running a limited-time promo where new and existing customers can get a 10-ounce silver bar at spot priced. It's one per household and its wall quantities last even better it qualifies for free shipping just go to silvergoldbull.ca and uh, click on the left side tab called deals and it's sitting right there finally rrsp season is upon us so if you've ever thought about putting physical metal in your rrsp you're in luck give graham a call or shoot him an email it's down in the show notes and if you're not interested in any of that um, and you enjoy the show I'd uh, appreciate it if you uh, clicked on their email and sent them an email just saying, hey, thanks for support, supporting Sean and independent media because, uh, well, we desperately need it in these days. Don't we, Canada? I think we do. Caleb Taves, Renegade Acres, they're the local community spotlight. We, we try to highlight some things going on in the area. And the Lloydminster Regional Theatre Foundation is presenting the Lloyd Local Series March 27th at 7.30 p.m. It's going to be the, the first showcase. is going to have Amanda Cooper. Uh, a variety of music, and Caroline Park country folk music. These two musicians are thrilled for their opportunity to put on their own show here in Lloydminster. So if that's something uh, here as we go along week by week, maybe I'll add a few extra details in there. It's it's a, it's, it's a little ways away, March 27th, so we got plenty of time there. And uh, it, regardless, um, a, a little bit of a, a local series. So that, that could be an interesting night. Two ladies getting a, a great opportunity to showcase what they can do out in front of uh, you fine folks. The Deer and Steer Butchery is a fast-growing, custom-cutting and wrapping butcher located near Lloydminster. They focus on high-quality, locally-sourced meats with unparalleled customer service who are proud to be from the community. They're currently seeking a dedicated and experienced butcher to join them, not as an employee, but as a partner. So if that is you, reach out, 780-870-8700. Erickson Agro Incorporated at Irma, Alberta. That's Kit and Tasha Erickson, family farm raising four kids, growing food for their community and this great country. Of course, you got uh, you got Blair living with us at the house, and um, it's been a quiet week. I don't really have I really don't have much to to report, honestly. So I guess that just means we have to get on to that tale of the tape. First is a former research chemist, amateur dairy goat farmer, libertarian, and economist whose work can be found on sites like Zero Hedge, Newsmax Media, and he also does the Gold, Goats, and Guns podcast. The second, a Croatian national, former hedge fund manager, author, contributing editor at Zero Hedge. I'm talking about Tom Luongo and Alex Craner. So buckle up. Here we go. All 
All right, welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Tom Luongo, Alex Craner. I think everybody at this point knows you two boys. Um, this is the 11th time. The 11th time, fellas, we've done this. So it's been uh, wow. once once a month. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, it's funny. I, I did the top 25 episodes of uh, something I started in 2022 and I did in 2023. And the only guy to outperform you was uh, Martin Armstrong. So, I mean... And it was his first time on the show. That episode kind of went ballistic. So you're always at the top of the charts uh, when it comes to to bringing you guys on. Now, uh, since since you guys have been on, like, I, I don't know, you're staring at the world going like, what what more can happen? And probably, I don't know, I, I was thinking we'd start with the World Economic Forum because that has been an absolute banger of people just coming in and, and, and some of the things being said there and everything else, unless there's something more prominent than that, by all means. Okay. With, I'm okay with, you know, picking on the WEF. It's fun. Like, you know, <laughs> the, like, dude, like, hey, you know, crapping all over the convocation of globalist vampires, like when they're out of their, their graves. Like, of course, like, you know, let's stomp on them a little bit. That's what we should do. So I, I'm happy to do that. Right. All you, right. Uh, go, go, Mr. Longo. Go. <laughs> okay. Give him well, hell. I mean, <laughs> fair enough. Um, uh, you know, I really, it was funny. I had, you know, I, I had my, my doubts about Javier Melee from Argentina because he seemed too good to be true. Right. Like, and then there's always the other side of that, which is that, you know, they only let a guy like that, you know, into power so that they can destroy him so that they can destroy the ideas that he represents. Right. And so as a, you know, as a Austro-Libertarian, you know, in many ways, I'm like, oh, I can see this coming a mile away because I've seen this show before. I have seen it here in the United States. Right. I've seen them do this to various people. I saw them do it to Ron Paul early on. And thankfully, because Ron is Ron, he wasn't capable. They, they weren't able to really destroy him. Right. Um, as a matter of fact, the more they attacked him, the, the stronger he got, kind of like Trump. So to see Millet go to um, Davos and basically, you know, him and Jamie Dimon both kind of go to Davos with a big bag of poop you know, with an M80 in the middle of it and light it on fire and then, you know, have it explode all over the room was great, rhetorically speaking. I mean, Jamie Dimon, the CEO of uh, JP Morgan, did the exact same thing. I mean, he, you know, last year he was kind of gentle about it and he just said, oh, by the way, I peed in the bushes over there. Um, <laughs> this year, Dimon went in and went, he just like, just literally told him, look, um, get ready for Trump. What is wrong with Trump? What's wrong with you? What are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. So... It was great so far. And then you had the guy from the Heritage Foundation sit down at a panel, you know, corduroy jacket, the, the, the patches on the elbows, the whole nine yards, looking the very model of a modern, you know, conservative intellectual, and then just, you know, give it to them, you know, with both barrels without raising his voice, you know. And uh, it was great. I mean, all of those things together, I think – gave you you know i mean we've been seeing this thing going on for a while with davos i've had people tell me for a couple of years now i've had people you know dm me and email me behind the scenes saying look i was there like i was at davos i work you know i'm a secretary for this one or that one and whatever and all of the people the underlings for the last three or four years have been like this place is a morgue you know and uh it's no longer what it was which was the means by which all of the the 
the the best people in the world um got together and planned out the future of of of, of the world no now it's more like a really are we still doing this right i mean i don't know you've ever like been the conferences that peaked right in popularity and then started to fall off in those 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 th first three or four years when it wasn't as good like yeah and then you're still holding on to it yeah that's kind of what davos is beginning to feel like now and uh I, I think that's what we're going to, I think it's only going to get worse from here. There's certain things that just go through cycles and peaks. Like, and this is kind of, you know, you talked about Martin, you brought up Marty Armstrong earlier and the site and Marty's most best known for cycles work. Well, everything has a cycle to it. Everything has a peak and then, a and then goes through. And one of the things that, you know, Martin is really good at, at, at charting is like he shows it across every idiot. Like, you know, and the thing that's popping into my head right now, since we're you know really close to it is the Super Bowl. Like we're on the downside of, you know, of uh, professional sports as a thing that is that has a life of its own. It's on the downside. People's priorities are shifting. Um, professional sports itself at every level has reached its crescendo, just like Hollywood reached its crescendo, just like so many things um, that you could argue uh, were are the, the function of crappy, cheap money. And then at the end of the day, once the bills start to become, you know, overwhelm the ability of the cheap money to, you know, keep the party going, once the bill comes due and everybody's like, oh, this is not good. Um, that's when people's priorities start to shift. And that's why we're seeing what we're seeing around the world. Uh, the the protests, Texas, all of this stuff, it all ties into this, this kind of peak corrupt money, right? And I don't know that we're, yeah, and, and I'll, I'll leave it there for now. Alex, what do you think? Yeah, I think that in addition to Millet and uh, Jamie Dimon and the other gentlemen, uh, I think that maybe even more impressive was the way that the <clears throat> the other participants of the of the World Economic Forum discredited themselves by just tossing these incoherent word salads that don't mean anything. They're just exercising eloquence for the sake of exercising eloquence but they're not saying anything or if they're saying anything there it's it would be better if they didn't because they sound like morons and i promise you i tweeted one day that this this gathering should be renamed as morons international because that's what comes through and i'm not you know um i i've been very unimpressed with davos for a very long time many years because i always uh, I, I, I get hedge fund managers going there to try to raise money. I get people trying to network, meet other people in order to, you know, everybody has a pet project and maybe, you know, further your agenda and your plans and whatever. I get that, you know, you want to network. That's legit. But the content of those conferences always struck me as uh, people who don't, really live on this planet people who are living in fantasy land of of this uh on the one hand you have people with money uh with very grandiose megalomaniacal plans and on the other hand you have these this academic expert class who wants their money they want the grants and 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 the you know the funding so the one side tells the other side a fairy tale that the other side is willing to believe, and then they give them the money to pursue that fairy tale. 
and then they make presentations and then these people with money retain what they want of those presentations, the parts they like best. And then they give all these eloquent speeches, but they have no idea what they're talking about. You know, the best example of this, the best example from, uh, I think, last year or maybe a few years ago was when Klaus Schwab has uh, under the guy from from Google, Brin, Sergey Brin. He has Sergey Brin on stage. And uh, OK, so Sergey Brin, whatever you think of them, uh, the man knows technology. He understands <clears throat> technology and Klaus Schwab has no idea what he's talking about. So Klaus Schwab asks him like, oh, do you do you think that maybe 10 years from now we're all going to have brain implants and I will be able to read the audience through my wireless brain implant, blah, blah, blah. He, and if you know anything about the about technology, you, you would be profoundly embarrassed for Klaus Schwab because he's really stupid to be even formulating such a question. And then you see Sager bring kind of like take 30 seconds to formulate something to save Klaus Schwab's face, but to give an answer. And he's like, yeah, I can envision that, you know, if I was sitting in a, in a movie theater watching a stupid sci-fi fiction movie, maybe I can envision it that he gives an answer. But you could, you could really see the disconnect. Klaus Schwab has money and power, but he has no idea. And that's the whole cohort. They, they have these fantasies about the world that they want to shape, but they don't understand what they're actually trying to accomplish. So, of course, it's coming apart and it's starting to, the farther it goes, the more embarrassing it becomes. And so, you know, the more they're going to have these experiences that somebody's going to come along and put them in their place and that they're going to pretend that they didn't understand, that they didn't hear. And it's going to go, as you said, Tom, uh, until, you know, like they, they're past their peak and it's going to continue until people stop showing up because they don't want to be associated with that crowd. Yeah, I, Alex, I think that's a, those are really uh, strong points about this is that, that there's this, there, there really is a, a massive disconnect between these ivory tower intellectuals who have, you know, like when you don't have anything to do other than sit around and sniff your own farts to, you know, then that's what you wind up doing. And then you wind up getting high on them. And then you wind up thinking, oh my God, that doesn't smell that bad. Really? I mean, it doesn't. Do you think, don't you? It's not too bad. Like, oh, I had broccoli last night as opposed to, you know, and we can just fine tune that. And then we can eventually get that to sweet smelling part. Like, it doesn't work that way. Right. So, I mean, you know, methane is methane and bacteria is bacteria. And, and um, so you can feed it, you know, sugar. It just gross so that's what we've got and you know the money is the and the money is the sugar and yeah um, yeah exactly and, and that's where we are right so i i you know that's the the part that that's funny is because i think that you know again three four five years ago it was only people like alex jones and others who were watching these people and reporting on it that mattered and you know i i got turned on to this stuff about seven i hit it hit me about six seven years ago right right during the, the 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 backlash during the trump campaign for president and it was at that point that i'm like okay what's going on here i know he's known george soros was kind of creepy and bill gates was kind of creepy but you know i didn't like see it that way right i was working on other things i was trying to understand the geopolitical chessboard i was trying to understand other things and so as you go along you're like oh no it's Though every time these guys get together, like 
there, you know, we then start to see policy coming, ideas coming out of the mouths of policymakers. And we're like, oh, that's where it comes from. And I'm sorry, and I'll admit, I'm, if I'm late to the party and there are people in the audience who've known this stuff for 35 years, and, you know, bully for you, great, that's outstanding. Because if it wasn't for you being there then, then I wouldn't be here, and Alex and Sean and I wouldn't be here now talking about it and trying to popularize this stuff and help per, and help create the critical mass so that when we get to Davos 2022 last year, 2023 last year, and this year, you now have a critical mass of people going, suck what? What did he just say? These are the people who are supposed to be like running the world. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, exactly. And then exactly. it and and it's you know I as a chemist I see things in terms of activation energy right. So and it's everything I see everything this way that in some processes are spontaneous they just happen you put you know you put salt in water it dissociates you get salt water but there are other reactions that take a lot of energy to get the reactions to go. There's a big barrier to that. And that's what we call, what we chemists call the activation energy. And that's not necessarily, you know, you don't necessarily see it show up in the Gibbs free energy equation, but it, but it's that barrier. And then once you get over that barrier, then the reaction can take place. So, you know, this plus this, and then a big arrow, you know, we've also seen chemical equations, this plus this big arrow, this, well, in, over that big arrow, sometimes is a big delta energy that ne is necessary to get the thing to go. And then once it goes, the process gives off so much energy that it becomes self-sustaining and then runs to completion until all the reactants become products. Well, guess what, folks? You know, people's inertia, their normalcy bias, their their ability and time and the to understand this stuff or to be able to, to understand this stuff, that's activation energy. So the Klaus Schwab's of the world and, and, and their understanding is what needs a huge activation energy while the Klaus Schwab's of the world take the easy stuff and just keep pushing, pushing, pushing. And eventually we get to a point where enough people start to see it because the costs of going along with the status quo rise to the point where now everybody is engaged, where it's now affecting them personally. Yeah. It's affecting their community personally or whatever. And that's when, and everybody has a different threshold for this and they all contribute to the activation energy of the society saying, you know what? No, we're not doing this. We're, we're not going to do this. We're not going to stay on. We're not going to allow, um, we're not going to stay on this side of the equation where we're just a bunch of reactors looking for different things to, to, uh, to react with. No, we're going this path. This path is the one that's energetically favorable. And it's analogous to the argument about it's the, the analogous to the Hemingway argument about going broke. How did you go broke? You know, suddenly and you know, slowly and then suddenly. Right. Right. Slowly and then all at once, effectively. And yep. it's that kind of thing. It's that kind of we see that everywhere. So um and then you hit these tipping points and then we, and we move on, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's talked about it in terms of like tipping points, societal movements. And you can talk about this in terms of, of, uh, voter preference and, uh, and what it takes for a new idea to push through the zeitgeist until a certain number of people reach critical mass. They've done a lot of work on this. Roughly 16% is the number, right. Of, of adoption and, and of an idea or a thing or a product or a, political movement or whatever and then it has to cross the, the gap 
between the 16% mark and, and becoming a big thing. That gap is the activation energy. And then, and invariably at what, at some point the marketing of the product has to change or the marketing of the, of the political party has to change. And then it can become a, a national movement. Let's take uh, the last thing. I'll, this is my last point on this. And I'll, I'll turn the microphone back over. Think of the IFD or the alternative for Germany in Germany, that, that party, and that party moved up to the 16% level in the run-up to the 2017 elections, but they couldn't break through, right? Um, because they got to 16% on being the anti-Merkel party. But that wasn't enough to take them to the we're going to save Germany party because they didn't rebrand themselves to become the we need to save Germany party, not we need to stop Angela Merkel. They were right that they needed to stop Angela Merkel, but it was the wrong message to go from 16% to 30%. And so they pushed up as a protest vote and then they pushed back right now in germany you see you see they have rebranded themselves as truly an alternative path that germany needs to take and now they're pulling 23 percent nationally and is upwards of 35 or 40 percent in some of the states that's the difference that's activation that and you know i wrote about this years ago i wrote an article about afd and the 16 percent chasm years ago explaining this exact thing and it's the same process over and over and over again and davos has now reached the point where we've crossed the 16 percent chasm everybody gets it and people are going to start rejecting it and so what they're going to do now is go for broke and go scorched earth on us and <laughs> to try and continue to raise the cost to keep us to get us to stuff us back in the box but it's too late um yeah <laughs> I wanted to bring up uh, Emma, Emma Tucker out of the, the World Economic Forum because, you know, what I do on this side, you know, bringing different people on to talk and encounter media, right, and what's what's happening there. Emma Tucker was the Wall Street Journal or is the Wall Street Journal chief editor, and she's quoted as saying, we own the news, we were the gatekeepers, and we we very much own the facts as well. And, you know, for for uh, me sitting on this side, you know, we and having Tom, I think I go way back to when you first – came on and we're talking about like, you know, all the different factions of the media and everything and how they, how they, you know, were being influenced by different government agencies and on and on. She, all I could think of was, she said the quiet part out loud, like right in front of the entire thing getting filmed. And then it blew up on Twitter and everything else. And I go, so are we going to see over the next, you know, year, five years, maybe we're already in the middle of it because of this show and other shows where media is really going to take a hard transition into transparency and like showing you how they get to their conclusions or is they going to double down scorched earth and that's not going to be it at all. I think they already lost that game, but a long time ago, you know, I remember, you know, they, they don't advertise these things, but I remember polls from 19, no, sorry, from 2013, 2014, or maybe it was 2016. I forget exactly, but you know, long before we had the pandemic and the Ukraine war and, and the Middle Eastern war and all of these things. And something like 70% uh, of Americans either didn't believe the media or they suspected that they were being lied to already back then. You know, and now it's in the last three years, it's become, not last four years, it's become so obvious that it's very difficult to deny it. You know, it's I, I imagine it must be difficult to find people who believe everything they're told on TV. They probably exist, but it's probably a minority by now. And so, you know, I think that what this woman said simply gives away the, the arrogant mindset uh, 
that these people have and the divorce from reality that they don't realize that they've made themselves irrelevant by lying to people that there's a reason why you know uh, cnn cannot crack one million viewers on their most popular show while people like tucker carlson or joe rogan are getting tens of millions there's a reason for that people reject uh sources where they suspect that they're being lied to and they gravitate to where they suspect where they find meaningful information and so that's why shows like yours uh, you know people like jimmy Dore and judge andrew napolitano and tucker and rogan and people like that are having great success and she thinks she owns the facts <laughs> i think I think she's really making a statement about herself and her peer group, not about who owns the facts. I agree. Yeah. I, agree. Yeah. I, I think we, I think we, I think that's a very important point, Alex. I really do. I'm not going to argue it's, like at all. Go ahead, Sean. Well, it's, it's just, uh, you know, we just had Tucker Carlson here, you know, he was on stage mm -hmm. with, uh, you know, I got to see him in Edmonton at Rogers place. You know, that's the big, stadium where the Oilers play and you had roughly 7,500 people, I'm going to assume jam in there. And, uh, you know, it was a star studded cast. In my opinion, you had Daniel Smith talk. Excellent. You know, a uh, typical politician. She probably could have talked for about four or less minutes in my opinion, but regardless, you know, she's a politician. She gets a opportunity to speak in front of a crowd. She's going to use it. And then you had Tucker Carlson do his keynote speech, speech, which was like, just total electric came out to kid rock. It felt my wife was with me. She's like, it feels like a rock concert, you know, like the way people are, you know, and out comes Tucker place goes nuts. And then you, you have it go nuts all over because uh, sitting in this chair, I knew I, I was quite positive. Jordan Peterson was going to be there. Didn't know for sure. Um, but I, I, I had information that suggested that. And so then he came out and the place erupted again, you know, so now you got Tucker and Jordan Peterson and then Conrad black sitting in the middle of them. And you're like, where else? Where else can you find three people who are going to speak honestly? And, you know, so I've been hard on Conrad Black. He was on the show uh, leading up to it, and he talked about going to the WEF for 20 years and, you know, Henry Kissinger being a lovely human being and and uh, 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 Klaus Schwab not being that bad of a guy. And then he said on stage, Christia Freeland's a, a nice lady, and that got a boo from the crowd. Like, could have just felt like the place was going to revolt, right? But Tucker... Tucker called her, I think, a Nazi midget, I think is what he said. And the place just erupted, right? And you just go like, people are ready for, for, for the truth. They are, they are more ready than they've ever been. Like, let's stop yeah. dancing around all these things. And so Tucker yeah. comes up. You have this all-star cast of these people who just get on stage and just like, listen, this is what it is. And the place was just like vibrating the entire time. It was, it was unreal. And then you flip back to Twitter and you see all these people in, in, in the WEF talking about all these things. And you're like, this is hilarious. Like, I'm just laughing at it now because it's become so, you know, you, you mentioned the 16%, Tom. It's become so mainstream now, the WEF, if that is such a thing. Uh, so common knowledge amongst uh, people that the WEF is almost a laughing stock. That's what it feels like. It doesn't mean they don't still have power. It doesn't mean they won't go for scorched earth. It just means people are aware of it and are starting to poke fun at all of these people. Yeah, well, that's, that's the that's, way you... That, that you know, is, is the, that's the most dangerous thing for them because... If you if you counter them with arguments, you know, you say like, oh, no, the, you know, climate change is not real because this and that. And then they throw 97 percent of scientists at you and this and that. And you're having a 
you're having like an argument back and forth, they're still strong. Once you start laughing at them, they're done. And this is what's happened to them. Absolutely. They, the, we've been saying for a long time that the best thing to do with, with crazy people is to agree and amplify. When they call you a racist, agree with them. Yeah, I'm a racist. We, you know, we do, you know, we do hangings out in the backyard every Thursday. You're more than welcome to come along. You know, it's like we have barbecue and everything. It's great. Like, you know, you you do the like because at that point you just like look at them and go, come on, let's let's be realistic here. Um, and and that's the the agree and amplify is a very very uh, powerful technique. Why did they ban the Babylon Bee? Right, because sat because they understood that satire is the one thing that they can't stand up to. Laughter, satire, memeing, all of this stuff. You can't stand up to satire because comedy is truth plus pain, right? And if yeah. there's nothing, nothing is more painful <laughs> than listening to the, you know, than than the mother weffers like trying to, you know, and their fluffery blowing smoke up our asses, and you know then we have to live with the consequences of their policy that they put in place because they've, you know, they've created tyranny by midwit. Or so it's funny. It's funny here in here, here in Canada, Tom, Alex. Mm. So Tucker Carlson comes to town, right? And the next day the liberals are all losing their mind because they want Pierre Polyev, right? The, the official opposition to denounce, denounce. So everybody was losing their mind because Daniel Smith was there. And it's like, this is so funny to see them all losing their minds over one man coming to do a show and talk about the war on free speech, the war on Christianity, the war on a whole bunch of different things, and the fact that some of our leaders are insane, and to talk about made medically assisted medical assistance in dying and and yeah. uh, and giving fentanyl to, well soon to be kids I, or maybe it already is folks I, I don't know and and if you hear that anywhere else in the world you go what here in Canada we're like oh you know it's not that bad it's not that bad and to have Tucker Carlson come in and then see the liberals calling on Pierre to to call him out and denounce it it's just a bunch of and you're like this is denounce great they're a, squirming a bunch of Nazis like what are you kidding me like are, are you out of your mind <laughs> and again the hysteria that they respond with is itself a meme is itself a thing with which to laugh at them about because it's clearly yeah. this i this, like they're trying to create um they're trying to create a false sense of uh, of uh, of of supremacy of their ideas right oh only you know only only good people think like this and if you don't think like this and you're a bad person obviously it's this is the this is all this night it's, it's all new speak it's all you know double plus on good and all the and all the rest of it and but the problem is, is that we don't love big brother we're now laughing at big brother and yet big brother is going to continue to try and put us in room 101 and the problem is is that well half of us are going you know compared to what you've got for us right now room 101 doesn't look too fucking bad like <laughs> Yeah, do your worst. Like, like you know, you don't have time to figure out what my room 101 is because you're trying to enslave 8 billion people. Well, in their case, they're trying to kill 7 billion of them off because they, don't, they know they don't, that the AIs can only really, you know, figure out the room 101s for about a billion people. And a billion people that are like them and they want to get rid of everybody else and have the robots do, you know, get rid of all these useless eaters. And that's what that's the way they think. And we just kind of look at them and go, yeah, no, I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't grow up to, to be an adult and have children to, to live, to, to give the hand them off this. Yeah, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah, no, we're just not going to do that. Can you, can, you know, um, like, you know, bro, like, 
fight me, bro. We're not doing it. And then they then they play lawfare and they do all these other stupid shit and things. And we're just we're getting to the point where like, you know what? How about we get, do lawfare on you? And we'll just put you in jail. But Can for we what? Talk- we didn't do anything wrong. We haven't broken any laws. I don't care. Guess what? The- the Let's fact you referenced now. Room 101, Tom, I'm like, oh, man, that's going to make me chuckle. For- anyway, that's going to make me chuckle. For- can you? Can we talk about Texas? We, we sure. were talking about it this that, morning. That's where I'm leading to. We're, we're staring going. at Texas up here in the north, and I'm going, what, what is happening? Like, is you know, um, Civil War was the topic, What came into the topic this morning. I'm gonna, I, I, are we that close? Yeah, or, or what? What is happening in the United States no, of America on the south southern border? It's a constitutional crisis, certainly. It's a. I wrote an article yesterday about this. I was like trying to tie everything together. I was going to try and tie uh, Daniel Smith and Canada and AFD and all this stuff together. And I finally just truncated it. And I've got I've got half a post on the cutting room floor, which I'll put out later in a week. Um, and but what we have is you know is are we talking about soft secession? Are we talking about insurrection? Or are we just talking about the return to federalism? That's the question. And, you know, we start by asking those questions because what we should be doing first is legally exercising our rights within the legal framework that exists. In the United States, you know, the states are sovereign. And, you know, the National Guard doesn't work for the U.S. military until the executive calls them up. So the National Guard is under the control of the governor. But then, but then again, here's the fun part. Every state has their own state guard. This is something I just like had to be reminded of the, the other day. So the Texas state guard will never, ever, ever under any circumstance can be called up by the executive in Washington and made a member of the military. So if they decide to go the route of trying to pull the Texas National Guard off the, and make them make a choice as to who they work for, Right. Because here's the process. You know, they're in the National Guard, but the but they can be called up uh, to become to by the executive to be you know effectively pushed into the military and put under executive control, the president's control. And this is what the Democrats are screaming for. Well, OK, well, I got news for you. You might not want to do that because they may all just renounce their membership in the Texas National Guard. And join the Texas State Guard, at which point they work for greg abbott and nobody the fuck else there's a lot going on here and it's you know we have a constitution it's very clear what it says and then the question now is whether or not the supreme court is going to enforce the constitution or whether or not it's going to do what it always does which is roll over uh for the centralization of power uh in washington but this has been an interesting court that's been up and down as to whether or not it believes in federalism or not and um you know, I could make an argument um, for a variety of reasons, uh, for a variety of people. Again, kind of like what happened on October 7th, where everybody thought, hey, this was a good idea to push the border crisis to this constitutional crisis point because we're going to win this way and we're going to win that way. And every faction thinks that they can use this to their advantage. And the reality is, is that the states are deciding. The people are deciding. 17, 25 governors have, um, you know, pledged, you know, support to Texas. And 17 of them are sending troops as of this morning. Okay? 17 states. That's a big deal. And is this going to wind up being in a quote-unquote civil war? Uh, No. (laughs) It's not. 
because you know at the end of the day you have to in order to continue to be an executive and have uh, any legitimacy whatsoever you know you have to if you give it if as commander chief biden gives an order the people don't show up that's the end of his rule now we can argue we can start arguing about who thinks they're going to win the board the game board and that you know what happens after this is a this is a crisis point and then at that point we start to see the board unravel really quickly right and i don't know who's going to win that i don't i can game out you know us winning i can game out them winning i can game out you know the enemies of the united states winning i can game out all sorts of scenarios so and i don't have a dominant one at this point but in the short run this is the right thing and the only move that greg abbott can make you have to stop the invasion this is an invasion it's that simple now whether or not that's going to you know accelerate things to a point where the united states has you know faces a constitutional crisis that it cannot overcome Oh, that's a good question. We overcame the Civil War. You know, the, the events that led up to, well, I'm sorry, the war between the states or the war to prevent Southern secession or, you know, whatever you want to call it, the Second American Revolution. Um, depends on, you know, I live in the South. They call it a lot of things. <laughs> and not all of them should I even repeat with my, my potty mouth um, on camera. So it's a good question. Alex, you you sit, uh, you know, on a on a, a different continent, staring at this. You know, like when when you're looking and hearing. I, I I'm curious what you hear and see, because here in Canada, we hear, you know, if you you're paying attention, you hear and see a lot of different things. What 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 are your thoughts when you when you listen to Tom laid out like that? Well, uh, a few things. You know, Tom is right in the in the in the in the sense of the way the structure of things is laid out. But the fact that this is meaningless is a different problem. First of all, because the American Constitution has been suspended with all these pandemics. Okay, so uh, yeah, you have the Supreme Court there, but you know you may as well not have it. Uh, also, the Supreme Court. We all imagine that this is like an institution, as they taught us in school. And I went to school in the United States. You have like this division of powers: executive, legislative, and judiciary, and they're all independent, and they're all like they're sworn to uphold the law. Well, you know, first of all, most of them do not have a, a valid uh, oath of office, or virtually nobody does. Second of all, uh, the uh, uh, the public health emergency uh, suspends the constitution. That's the law. And then the judiciary comes under Department of Defense, which is now in effect. And then you also, you had these extensive discussions out in the open that Supreme Court judges should be um, should be offered money, okay, like ten million dollars. You retire in ten years, you get ten million dollars. I'm not making this up. This is uh, Jonathan Turley has written about this on his blog. You know, he's one of the leading uh, constitutional scholars in the United States. And then also, you know, we have you have. A couple of years ago, you had a whistleblower from the NSA, Russell Tice, T-I-C-E, who had on his desks wiretaps of Supreme Court judges, of uh, Colin Powell, of uh, uh, military general, attorney generals, judges, um, and so forth, uh, 
these wiretaps were not done out of out of because people in the NSA didn't know what to do with themselves out of boredom. They they collected this data deliberately to have control files on these people. And then it is it is people, you know, like you come down to the choice of lead or silver. You know, you want silver or you want lead. And if a judge, uh, you know, decides that they have their principles, that they are sworn to uphold the Constitution and uphold the law, then maybe they come to a no good end like the judge Esther Salas did a few years ago when she was assigned the money laundering case against Deutsche Bank. And this case was linked to uh, to um, Jeffrey Epstein. And then somebody... Somebody, who knows who, probably Vladimir Putin or, um, you know, maybe Xi Jinping dispatched an assassin to her home and uh, killed her son and injured her husband. She survived because she was, you know, just happened to be running an errand at the time when the assassin turned up. And so, you know, you have you have a very serious problem that the institutions that should preserve the democratic order are not functioning anymore. And that, you know, uh, dramatically exacerbates the risk that the, the country ends up in a civil war. So, I mean, uh, those, those tensions are now already brewing up. And I would also wager that the party that has most to gain by the United States going to, into a civil war is the city of London. This is who orchestrated the first U.S. civil war in 1861. That's where it's coming from. It, it didn't happen because, you know, Abraham Lincoln wanted to free the slaves and the Southerners wanted to keep their slaves. That's not how it happened. That's the, that's the uh, you know, airbrushed and sanitized version that is being taught in U.S. schools. But if you study history a bit more rigorously, you realize that the U.S. civil war was a massive geopolitical event where the British Empire wanted to rid itself of a, of, of a great rival for the control of maritime trade routes, which was the United States, which was growing more and more powerful. And the British Empire said like, oh shit, you know, these people are going to unseat us. Let's break them off into several smaller uh, client states that are going to be weak, that we can pit them one against the other. And we're going to be financing both. They're going to be a commodity exporter to us. And we're going to financialize uh, the collateral that they represent uh, in our banks. And we're going to control the, the currency and the trade flows. So that's, you know, uh, London is at risk of losing the United States. If Donald Trump comes into power, London is, is cooked. And, and the Davos, you know, I'm, I'm, we can put them all in the same bag. So if they can't keep uh, uh, the American people from, from voting wrong, they're going to try to break up the United States. That's what they're going to try to do. And I think that Great. all this talk about uh, Texas seceding, uh, somebody is lobbying this through. Somebody's, you know, pushing that. And I, I think agree. that that no, would be I the greatest gift to the, this degenerate oligarchy in the city of London and in 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 in, in Europe, uh, yeah, Tom, you always talk about the no, I, no, I no, Alex, you're you're, you're, exactly you're right. absolutely correct. Go ahead. I, nothing I said in my in, in my in my previous comments um, repudiates any of that analysis or what I've said previously on this issue. I agree with that completely. As I said, is this the right situation, the right thing in the short run? 
Yes, because the states have to stand up. They have to reassert their authority. Federalism has to be, we have to put that idea back in the heads of Americans who have been comfortable with their institutions operating the way they think they're supposed to be operating. And they're getting a very, and, and over the course of the last six or seven years, we part of the you know, discussion about Davos and being a morgue and all the rest of it is a part of the process of people waking up to the reality that the institutions, and this is where we're going to move next, are not to be trusted. That what we thought were the institutions of culture and power and everything else that were our greatest strength, uh, that our, our natural political immune system from this shit um, still functions. That's itself a psyop, right? That is the British psyop. Correct. That this yeah. shit still functions. It doesn't. We know that. The, 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 you know, Biden this morning came out and put out an executive order. Again, another, another ridiculously inflammatory comment, uh, executive order, banning all new LNG terminals and the export of, of liquefied natural gas from the United States. Why? Because they're actually I trying to destroy the natural gas markets here in the United States by crashing the friggin' price of domestically of natural gas, creating uh, a, a, a massive oversupply. Okay. I've been sitting here for the last three or four weeks and one of the coldest snaps we've ever had and there's you know natural you know u.s natural gas futures getting crushed from three fifth from a breakout above 350 um a million btus to 210 like it's a massive collapse in six, like seven trading days of u.s natural gas prices in anticipation of the biden administration doing exactly this okay well you know our, our production is off the charts so they're doing this on purpose like they're trying to to, to, to sabotage everything that would allow the United States to weather this political storm. Because if we have, if the economy functions relatively well, if the Fed holds interest rates at five and a half percent, if the banking system is you know, allowed to have the liquidity it needs to get through, and yeah, we're gonna have some banks fail and blah, 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 there's a whole bunch of bad shit happens, right? But the ultimate goal here is to destroy the American bond market and the American debt markets. Secession is ultimately about killing the american treasury market as a as the world's most trusted sovereign debt markets that's the important part here that's what the brits are 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 attacking that's what and on this the brits and davos right i tend to split off into two separate groups on this point they agree like their venn diagram destroying the united states is number one at their list top of their list and then after the united states is destroyed they're fighting amongst themselves they're jockeying for position as to who's going to control the world after they're done destroying us that's the game. It's a three. It's a three-player game, and you know, you know, A and B are trying to destroy C. After the C's gone, then A and B are going to fight. Okay, so no argument here that this is a that that this is what's going on. This is why I'm like I don't want to discuss secession. I don't want to discuss the People's Republic of you know the, or discuss the, the the restitution of Texas or anything else. You know what I want to do? I want to watch them like literally fulminate and lose their mind and start spitting in great frustration that we didn't take the bait, that we closed the fucking border, that the states band together, and then we turn around and go, you know what? No, Joe Biden's just a traitor. That's it. We just need to get rid of him. We have a process for this. He's a traitor, and he needs to be removed. And so now we have to watch the the mass and the the next set of moves to watch here isn't what the go the governors already acted 
So now we got to watch what happens on Capitol Hill. And does the dam break? Is there a faction slapping manila folders on various desks to get this, to, to, to walk through this process this way, to get Trump all the way to the election and then to the inauguration without being assassinated? It's why Jamie Dimon coming out and saying, no, get used, get used to the idea of Donald Trump is so goddamn important. Because Dimon's literally telling you what's going on. The other day, he just reorganized J.P. Morgan. By the way, all the, the various divisions, I, I didn't have a chance to talk with a friend of mine about this who knows more about the internal workings at, 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 Jamie, uh, at, at J.P. Morgan than I do. But notice, if you go through that announcement, Mary Erdos who's absolutely fucking weft to the gills and was the one and was, and it was through her division that Epstein was given bank accounts to wander money through JP Morgan in order to be able to then point that bazooka at Jamie Dimon last year, Mary Erdos didn't get up, didn't get an, um, uh, she's not in the, the, the newly restructured, um, uh, 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 administration of the post diamond jp morgan that's a big deal okay because and he had and diamond had an erdos right next to him while he was at davos meaning she wasn't allowed to do anything she wasn't i don't think she i think diamond literally kept her on his arm in order to keep her from like trying to betraying him basically keep your enemies close you know your friends close and your enemies closer uh, that's the way i read all that by the way I've been watching this again. I'm watching this shit very, very carefully because as far as I'm concerned, this is the center of where the, you know, again, fix the money, you fix the, you fix the politics. You can't. And you know, what is the future of what is the cloud, the Schwabian future? What is the bank of England future? It's CBDCs. It's UBI. It's defaulting on the debt that exists today. But they got to get us, but they have to repudiate our debt first. They got to make the world hate U.S. treasuries in order to then say, well, we have a plan for getting out the other side of this, which is that, you know, we're going to, um, we're going to cancel all the debt. We're going to forgive all your debts, but you have to, you know, let the app be sideloaded onto your phone. This is part of, the, FYI, just so you know, this is why the EU is forcing Apple to sideload to allow apps to be sideloaded onto the iPhone. That's why, that's why they've been going after Apple so freaking hard. Because they want to be able to sideload their apps onto the iPhone against Apple's wishes. Because they need to do this. They need to be able to track and trace everything. They need to be able to issue their apps. They're getting ready for this. And the iPhone, you know, Apple for all of its faults as a company has been very clear that they don't want to do that. That part of the reason why Apple's walled garden has been a strength for people is because they refuse to allow anybody into their app store. Now there's going to be a separate app store. This is a big fucking deal, people. This is them refusing to back down and force, you know, and, and keep pushing around this they're pushing on this front so now they're trying to get texas just like they've been you know blowing up the Nord stream pipeline to get putin to nuke kiev they're trying to get this the states to say we have irreconcilable differences with washington and then ask yourself the question well who guarantees the 33 trillion dollars with the u.s debt 
and Janet Yellen's out there issuing. Last year, she issued what, 83% of the debt she issued last year was of one-year maturity or less at the highest interest rate she possibly could so that would all roll over this year in order to force the Fed to fucking pivot. She did it on purpose. She's a fucking traitor. She's a fucking vandal. Okay? It's who she is. And so is Biden, and so are so are the rest of them. This is right here in front of you. So if Greg Abbott, if you're listening, no secession talk, no Texas, Texas talk, none of this shit. Exercise your rights under the Constitution exactly the way he did in the letter to the Biden administration. Ken Paxton, the AG of Texas, went along with it, and all the other AGs that have supported Texas supported this, 25 states and 25 AGs. Yeah. Regardless of party affiliation. Now, most of those states, are, of course, are GOP-run states. So in the, in the initial thing to see Virginia, of all things, right, be one of the first to back Texas, that's because of Glenn Youngkin as governor, even though, you know, Virginia politics is now dominated by government employees around the city of Richmond, you know, basically. So, I mean, if you start to really think about this stuff, I mean, I was having a conversation with my partner, Dexter White, over the weekend about this very thing. And he said, imagine if the South didn't take the bait at Fort Sumter. Let's, you want to talk about a, a different history of the United States. What if the South allows Lincoln to resupply Fort Sumter? Right? The Confederacy never did anything with, with uh, Fort Zachary Taylor and, and, and Key West. Union folks were, I mean, they did, they, it, they just sat out the war. What if Fort Sumter was, if they didn't do anything about Fort Sumter for six or eight months and the Confederacy was given another six, eight, nine, ten months to, to, to solidify itself? History of the United States would be completely different. Okay. History of the world would be different. May not be better, may not be worse. Right. So I this is what Texas in, in the reverse now, this is what Texas needs to do. Don't take the bait. Secure the border. Act within your federal legal rights as a sovereign state. Because people forget this. The United States is made up of 50 little countries. By the way. And the supremacy clause of the Constitution is problematic in the way it's been interpreted. At the end of the day, the states, unlike the federal government, have plenary policing power. Okay? They have the right to police their territory. Okay? Federal government can't put you in charge, put you in jail for murder. By the way, did you ever notice this? No, that's a state. Okay, here in the U.S. Murder is a state charge. Federal government can assist the states in the investigation, but ultimately this is murder is prosecuted in state court, not in federal court. Okay. I, uh, foreigners don't, you know, I mean, no, no offense, Alex, but, and, and, and Sean, but people outside of the United States do not understand the depth to which we have federalism here in the U.S., which is why we need to be destroyed. Because the mechanisms are there legally in place to do what needs to be done. And then you wait for the people to stand up and do the right thing at the federal level. Here's what I'm worried about. And I wrote about this yesterday. And I think this was me. And I literally, I put this idea in my head and I'm like, oh, this is schizo posting. Right? It's the following. What if this is all a big ploy to deny Texas the ability to seat electors? at the Electoral College 
in order to deny Trump a victory next January. Because Texas has now raised arms against the federal government. Right? That's what they're that's what they're doing here. They're trying to deny, they're going to try and deny the states. The more I think about this, the more I think that that's what the strategy is. They know they can't stop so, Trump because they learned here in the last week that, okay, Trump's going to be the candidate. And they've been trying as hard as they can to stop him. So when you put it that way, you're like, what legal way can we do it without raising too many red flags that we're going to do everything in our power? Because, I mean, every red flag has been raised at this point. Um, but if all of a sudden Texas couldn't do what they do in an election, which would help President Trump, there might be a way the Democrats squeak through. That yeah, doesn't raise too many look, red flags to the, the common population. Look, Sean, um, go through Reconstruction, okay? Go through what we we like before the states, the southern states had had who had seceded, um, re officially rejoined the United States. They were subject to u.s law and the 14th and they were subject to the like they were we were imposing the 14th amendment and the post-civil war amendments on the southern states that hadn't even come back into the union yet all right like if you don't think that this hasn't been done before remember lincoln was barred from you know he was thrown off the ballot in a number of states he, he won the election without having the ballot access for all the the states this is this is a it's been done before. Martin Armstrong brought up the other day that the first three, the first three or four elections in the United States, Washington, Jefferson, they were not elected by popular vote. There's nothing in the Constitution which says we have to have a popular vote for president. It's only the Electoral College, how the states decide to choose who the slate of electors is, is up to the states and the states can choose. Hey. We're not having an election. We're just going to like convene the state legislature and let them and let them work it out, and send this and, and and send a candidate for president and separately for vice president. And in the early days of the United States, the vice president was the guy who got the second most electoral college votes. Oh, by the way, like you know, we all we live in this idea of what of how the U.S. election system works. It's all very modern. It's all very post World War II or you know post FDR. It's not the way it you know that's not the historical precedent here. So there's plenty of historical precedent and legal precedent on the books for a whole bunch of weird shit to happen. And so this is part of the reason why I'm having a hard time arguing with Marty about the idea that no matter who wins in 2024, half the country is not going to accept it. Which again falls right back into what Davos and the City of London want. That's what scares me more than anything else. And I've been banging my shoe on the table like Khrushchev about this for two years now. And every interview that Alex and I do together in every venue, we, we always wind back up on this this scenario. And people thought I was crazy for making this argument then, but here we are in 2024, and we're we're in the middle of it now. 
Although I, I doubt whether it's half the country, you know, because I think that more than half the country would vote for Donald Trump at this point. And I think that Joe Biden, his, I'm convinced that his uh, approval ratings are completely cooked. I mean, there's no way that he, that 38% of people actually support Joe Biden. And he's been, he's been like a walking train wreck. And I, I think that, you know, normally experience from other countries suggests that at this stage you would have approval ratings at the single digits. You know, the, the reason the reason why they the reason why they show them to be like relatively high is because they then they could lie with exit polls. You know, then in the last moment, Joe Biden can, you know, like sign some popular executive orders, uh, forgive student loan debts, whatever, do something that can be uh, interpreted in positive way through the news. And then they say like, oh, look, his poll ratings just jumped. He's one point ahead of Donald Trump. You can't recover from 6% approval rating. So they, they just lie. They just probably polled the Democratic National Congress. And that's that's how they get 38 percent. You know, they're not getting 38 percent on the street. At this point, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, because I, I just like <clears throat> what I see in the United States is kind of what I see in Canada. Right. Like I look at Biden and I look at Trump and I'm like, to me, sitting up here, Tom, I go, Trump should win in a landslide. The first time around, you can you can the Democrats can kind of be like, well, you know, we needed to change Trump, the way he's doing things, talking, whether that matched what actually was going on, the way media, the way pop, everything has changed in four years. So much has changed in four years. It's not even funny. And I look at I look at Trudeau here in Canada and I go, you know, the next election, if Pierre doesn't win in a landslide, I think there's more and more people who go, it's corrupt. It's cooked. It's just simple as that. We got yeah. a bigger problem on our hands than it, everyone voted for Trudeau. I don't I don't think that's the case anymore at all. You just watch. All that you you know you you watch um, go back to what Alex said about CNN they can't crack a million I mean the CBC here I don't even know if they can crack like three percent of the population on their favorite show right like I mean they just they can't get anybody watching anything and um, other than Hockey just, Night in Canada and even then there's you know there's a lot of people a lot of people that are very upset and that isn't CBC now that's Sportsnet CBC lost oh, Hockey true. Night in Canada right that's and that's and right. then You're you right. know. You're Greatest player on the planet. He's using the pride tape. And I mean, people just went off the deep end again, right? All that, because, and long story, I'm going down a hockey tirade here. We look at it and I, I look at the, the Americans, I look at Canada and I go like the next election, we got one here in 24. Then we got probably one in 25. I mean, that's how it should probably play out in my head. And I go right now, I have tons of people who don't, do not listen to us three talk that go, if Trudeau gets elected, we have big problems. And if they're saying that, how much of the country is saying that? So you go, the mm -hmm. only thing they can do that doesn't raise like the entire population's like, what just happened? Why did Biden get elected? Why did Trudeau get elected? Nobody's happy right now. Is if they pivot and put in somebody in place. And the one that we were talking about this morning was M Michelle Obama. And Tucker, we were joking on stage, his one slip, if he had a slip, um, was he said, yeah, you know, talking about Trump, this, that. And then he goes, you know, it really comes down to a two-person race. Biden and Obama. And he said it, and I don't know if he meant to say it or if he just, it slipped out. But you look at that and you go, isn't that the way the Democrats uh, maybe pull back some of the, the 
I don't even know what at this point, but isn't that way where they can maybe try and be like, oh, Obama is, a, is this great, you know, first lady. She's so, and, and first this and first that. Isn't that maybe a way they try and slide past the goalposts without raising too many alarm bells? Maybe. Yeah. She's all class and grace. Yeah, that could fly. Um, it, 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 it'll be, okay. The, um, here's the, 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 some things to consider. Um, Michelle Obama will pull every black woman in the country. Okay. Same way that Kamala Harris would. Okay. Black women love Kamala Harris. You might want to talk to Larry Elder about this, about the, about the, 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 uh, about the, the, this stuff. Cause he did a great podcast. I watched about a month, month, month and a half ago about the, you know, Gavin Newsom, Michelle Obama, Kamala Harris situation. Um, but where they have a bigger problem is black men. Black men are gone. They've lost them. And, you know, you can get them to say on a poll while their wives are standing next to them. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to vote for Biden. And then they're going to go in, they're going to blacken in the bubble for Trump, and then they're going to leave the, uh, the the booth, and then they're going to tell their wives that they voted for Biden. Okay. So they're going to cancel each other out in a way that, you know, we've never... They, it probably already happened in 2020, and that's what they had to overcome. Um, and um, that's just reality. I mean, and, and they're not even going to try here in Florida anymore to push this idea, okay? Because uh, they know it's not going to work because it's just it's too far gone. I mean, you know, we have Jewish folk in the in, in Florida who are ready to vote for Donald Trump. I mean, it's kind of crazy. That's how bad things are. Okay. So they have bigger problems than that. Um, they have. So it's not going to be a real election. It's going to be an election with its thumb on the pulse of the whole thing. And they're going to put their thumb on the scale. And they're going to push. And they're going to manipulate the um, the milieu to their advantage, the game, the state of the game board, and do not put it past them that they try and say it's a civil war. We can't have an election. Now we had two elections during the first civil war, so like I don't know what they're talking about. And we've got plenty of historical precedent. You know, we had an election in 1860. We had an inauguration. You know, while half the country had, you know, had, you know, when we had states that were leaving the union, and then we had another election in 1864. Like we did it then, we can do it again. We can do it here. There's, there's no reason why we can't. But this clearly, this is an operation being run by external forces because they understand that if we, if the United States, as a reasonably functional 50 state compact makes it through to january 2025 and donald trump is president and there's a vice president in place who's just as bad as he is from their perspective which is why they're trying to create the whole nikki they're trying to recreate 1980 with thinking haley right george bush george hw bush stayed in the race against reagan way longer than he had any right to be in that race and then they took reagan aside and they said, he's going to be your vice president. And if not, we're going to shoot you or your family. And, you know, George H.W. Bush was the globalist fallback plan, insurance policy. So that's who Nikki Haley is. And that's why she's like, 
Oh, yeah. No, this race is not over. Like, yeah, it is. You're going to get smoked by 40 points in your home state. Like, she's not even going to show up in Nevada. This is about either them getting Trump into disqualified from the ballot or in jail so that the GOP then nominates Nikki Haley. That's what this is about. That's why she's still in the race. Her only her only chance at winning is for Trump to be removed. And she's been told that that's what they're going to do. And so she's just dumb enough to believe that that's what's going to happen. And, you know, she's making her bed and she's going to lie in it. Well, you know, because her other choice is to go back and, you know, sling a coffee at the Waffle House. So outside of Charleston, like that's what's going on. Like, I'm sorry if I can't meme Nikki Haley, Waffle House waitress into, into being I have failed as a political commentary commentator. So I'm just going to keep doing it until it works, until it happens. So, but that's, you know, there's, a, like I said, like I said, Mike, when we first started talking about this, there's a number of different ways this could lay out. So many different ways that this could go, this could branch. And there is no prediction here. And anybody who's selling a, a, a prediction about what's going to happen other than chaos is just talking their book. You know, it's just stroking their own ego. I, I just, at this point, just want to lay out as many various scenarios as possible and, and as, as many, you know, con, you know con, uh, confounding factors as possible and see how they all cancel each other out, if they cancel each other out. At the end of the day, the bigger question is, you will know as we go through this. There's like, I, I was on with, I was on somebody else's show and I said, look, there's like five things that have to happen here between now and the, uh, and the inauguration for Trump to win and take office. And you got, it's like flipping a coin, like flipping a penny five times and coming up heads every time and you get one shot at it. You don't get to you know try again. Like you got heads, that's gonna come up heads and then heads and then heads and then heads. And at each stage of the process, you know, first we gotta get rid of DeSantis and, and Vivek. We did that. Now we gotta get rid of Nikki Haley. Right? You got her to back down. Then something else has to occur. And then we gotta get through this Texas thing now. Now we gotta get keep Trump out of jail. Then you gotta get to the convention with the right VP. Then you've got to you know, navigate whatever, um, it, whatever shifts the Democrats are going to do with whoever they decide to put up, be it Gavin Newsom, Michelle Obama, or I don't know, Whoopi Goldberg. Like, you know, I, I don't know who they're going to put to try and put in, in, in place. Right. And then they got to get through the election and then we got to get through the transition. Then we got to get through the inauguration and we got to stay out of war with Iran. Right. We got to, um, the Democrats are clearly going to pivot anti-war. The Biden administration is not talking about leaving both Syria and Iraq at the same time. I, I, did I not call this six months ago, saying that the Biden administration would not put would not all of a sudden go anti-imperialist? We're going to pull out of the Middle East. We're going to leave the Israel Israelis to hang. This is Davos. This is what Davos wants. The Brits don't. So that's why the Davos and the Brits are not the same. Okay. They want trump destroyed they want the united states destroyed but they have different agendas in the middle east collateral and it all goes back to oil and collateral and everything else i so guys i can sit here and do this all day long and sound only mostly coherent and it all still just is just a fucking nightmare it's just well when i and, when i when i hear you talk and I, I i don't know um uh give space for alex to say a few things but when i hear you talk you just uh are pointing out how dire of a situation we're in and you know 
as we get closer and closer to the election, it'll only get worse and worse and worse. But you have passed one coin flip, in your words, Tom, uh, with Vivek stepping aside and doing it first. He strikes me as one very intelligent man because he understood he wasn't the guy. And so he he steps aside. He's the first one to do it, which makes him look even better than DeSantis. DeSantis, by the time he stepped aside, looks like a weak, you know, resemblance of the man that we saw in COVID and everything else. But it, they both well, step aside. That's a big one. And I will say, I, 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 want you to, I want you to understand that DeSantis stepping aside when he did before New Hampshire was a big deal. And it tells me that the, um, I, I know the hardcore Trumpers, the, the 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 people who listen to everything Robert Barnes says as, as gospel law, frankly, um, and and Sundance over conservative treehouse who really do believe that DeSantis is a traitor. No, he's not. Um, what I see is DeSantis stepping aside when he did, leaving all that money in his war chest for 2028. And look, if Haley had won New Hampshire, she was only going to win New Hampshire if DeSantis stayed in and pulled you know, 10 or 12 percent of the vote. Right. And then that would have been when you look at the way at who DeSantis mm -hmm. was taking, he was taking people who were um, tired of Trump, liked the ideas of Trump, but wanted it, wanted somebody different. So DeSantis stepping aside was more important than Vivek, far more important because he was a more credible candidate. One, okay, came in second in Iowa, 21% of the vote. And um, same demographics as Donald Trump. Okay. So you back that off and you say, okay, DeSantis pulling out before New Hampshire was a way to say, yes, we need to stop Nikki Haley. Yes, I'm on your side. Yeah, this is all over. He endorsed Trump and fully repudiated Haley as a globalist. That was important. Go watch the speech he gave because Trump did. And so, you know, Donald Trump, when he's running for office, is not the same person as Donald Trump when, you know, he's not your opponent. It's all performance art with him. So, you know, this whole, you know, animosity between Trump and DeSantis is just amplified to Aida because that's what Trump does to win. That's the way he operates. I'm not saying it's good, bad, or indifferent. It's just who he is. So DeSantis is going to go back to Florida where he belongs. He's now supporting first one to basically support Greg Abbott and send troops. He's doing the right thing. So now the question is, is the whole Greg Abbott thing nothing but a big British psyop in order to force civil war? That's a then you have to like that's an bracket for that. I think that's I think that's a low or low, low probability scenario. I really You know, don't. um I, unless you want to chime in, Alex, the other thing I you know, I, I think a lot of people have been have been have been staring at is um and and of course on this side of the pond we get very little information about it was what was going on in germany like this giant protest that reminded us all over here of the truckers that's what it looked like and yet you know it's so far away you're like well is it is that exactly what's going on is it you know like on your side of the pond what what is happening over there yeah, I think it's uh, the German farmer pro protest is real, and it's uh, it has very very broad public support. I think that more than eighty percent of the public support the farmers. Uh, where it goes is very difficult to say. I think that the government is uh, kind of finding itself powerless to do anything about it. Um, 
the thing that is even more uh, o o ominous about it is that the protest seems to be metastasizing to other nations. And I think that the scariest protesters in the world are the French. Because once they, you know, like once they go and protest, they, they do it properly. They go hard. And they're, they've practically laid a siege to Paris. They've blocked all the highways between Paris and the rest of France. And, um, you know, the stores and warehouses in Paris have about three days worth of food. So <laughs> I don't know where this goes, but it's, you know, I, I predicted this two years ago, and it's not a, it's not a particularly um, original prediction. It was, it was you, could, you could tell that we were going to a future of uh, social uprisings. Um, it didn't happen during the COVID pandemic. It didn't happen the next year or the year after that, but here we are. This year, apparently, it's happening. Um, the problems of European governments are dismayingly deep and complex. And when you look at what's going on, you wonder how come this place hasn't collapsed already long time ago because the the laws have been changing in most insane ways i you know like when i see when i hear stories from people in germany i cannot even believe that this is like a civilized advanced western country um people are quiet quitting in their millions people are quitting outright in hundreds of thousands people are realizing that they're better off on on the government dole than working full-time and then you know they quit they get social benefits and then they work uh in the black and they end up way better off than just you know being a law-abiding citizen and surprisingly uh there's a, there's a lot of ways to skirt the system so we're going in the direction of uh, Brazil, you know, Argentina. We're going in the direction of a societal collapse. I, I don't know how they reverse this. I, I mean, I don't think it's too far out to think that this could be the next, you know, another event like the French Revolution uh, in, the, in the 18th century. And so it's it's here. I, I, Italian farmers are out. Uh, Polish farmers are out. Bulgarian farmers are out. Romanian farmers are out. Uh, Croatian farmers are out. Um, Dutch, German. You know, it's a, it's a it's a continent-wide problem. And in the middle of losing a war to Russia. Okay, so. Uh, all right. I don't know where this goes, but I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, uh, describe the the real danger that I feel is upon us, and that is the you know Tom and I you, Tom and I discussed this the other day. It's the process of Nazification, because you know Nazis don't just spontaneously emerge out of a economic crisis. Nazis are created. You get Nazis when you fund Nazis. And the process, you know, I, I, I read up on the way this happened in Germany. 
not in your you know school curriculum history books the, 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 it doesn't it doesn't show it but in you know in carol quigley in uh conjuring hitler and uh, you know these types of uh, sources and then when you when you look at this process and compare it to what's been happening in ukraine there's practically a template okay there's practically a template first you destroy the economy Okay, you make sure that people are destitute, that uh, unemployment is very high, that young people have no future, that they have no way to uh, fulfill their aspirations in life, that they cannot afford to get married and raise families. And then once you've achieved that, then you start arming uh, extremist, radical, right-wing groups. They're the ones who start getting money. They are the ones whose ideology becomes promoted in the media, pamphlets, uh, television, radio, uh, tiki torch, marches, and so forth. And this is exactly the way it happened in Germany with the brown shirts, because, you know, in Germany, uh, during the, in the, in the period after World War I, for about 20 years, Germany was one rolling social and economic and political crisis with assassinations, with uh, suicides, uh, with... Uh, practically a quiet civil war going on between various groups in Germany, between the communists and the, and the, and the socialists and, and the uh, conservatives. And then you had the brown shirt movement, which in 1930 had a couple of hundred members. But by 1933, when Hitler came to power, they were between two and three million. Okay, because somebody funded this, somebody armed them, somebody provided the weaponry. And then from there, you have the process of, uh, yeah, and then you introduce, you introduce the external enemy because the country is in chaos. Whose fault is it? Uh, Jews and the Russians. 1930s Germany. Uh, after, after 2014 in uh, Ukraine, the fault was the Russian Jewish mafia, same thing. You start preparing the nation for war. Um, in, nine, in 2014 or 15, I forget, when they had the presidential elections in Ukraine, the two right-wing extremist parties, the Svoboda and the right sector, the Pravi sector, um, between them, they got about 1.6% of the popular vote, okay? Nevertheless, they got um, most of the key um, cabinet posts, you know, the police, the military, education, um, judiciary, I think. And they got uh, five key governorships, in spite of the fact that they got less than 2% of the popular vote. And we know what happened between 2014 and 2022. And now these brown shirts, you know, because the country is in such chaos, they incentivize them with 300 bucks per head for anybody they can sweep off the street and throw into the, into the trenches, into the meat grinder. And the country is completely destroyed. So... This was Germany in the 1930s and 1940s. This is Ukraine today. 
why why am I saying this? Because I see the danger that we are going in the same direction because the same same structures of power that are in charge of the Western societies, the these these uh, banking oligarchs, they lost practically everything they they had going. They, they they're losing their position in Africa in the Middle East. They they're losing in Ukraine. They got kicked out of Afghanistan. They're Power in the world is declining very rapidly. So what do they do? They immiserate the people in the West, the United States, Western Europe, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, they start, you noticed, you noticed that now we have feds marching around with various, um, you know, nationalist, socialist kind of themes. Uh you know, we saw the guys in the red shirt in Florida a few months ago, right? Saluting, Nazi salute. Now we're seeing these, uh, I don't know what they're called, uh, National Patriot Front, whatever they're called. It doesn't matter what they're called. But they start marching around, making themselves visible. They go with slogans that are acceptable to the wider public, right? They will say uh, they're anti-satanic, or they're pro-Christianity, or they're anti-communist, or they're anti-immigration. Something that will attract people who have a grievance in this. And then you start throwing a little bit of money, and you start creating this brown shirt movement as the rest of the society is being immiserated. And so you create dry tinder of people who are going to be uh, running repression, we're going to be intimidating politicians, judges, sheriffs, and so forth, uh, uh, legal representative of, of the people. And you're also uh, beginning to militarize the society because you still want to prevail over your geopolitical rivals like Russia, like Iran, like China. So this is, I think, where the danger is because we're going to get a, a, an inflationary future. We're going to get stagflation. The immiseration of the people is going to continue. And they're obviously... Um, fomenting these brown shirt movements, okay? And if we don't wise up to this, then we're on that same slippery slide into Nazism, which, you know, give it five, ten years, might land us in the real World War scenario, like the real, real one. Because, you know, Germans, the Poles, the British establishment, they're already announcing there's going to be conscription we have to increase military spending we're going to be in war against russia they're they're giving all these signals right so we are going we are being pushed in those directions and i think that we have to really uh, find effective ways to uh, push back against this because you know next thing is going to be my kids who these you know brown shirts are going to be sweeping off the street to chuck them on the eastern front uh, as as cannon fodder and I don't think anybody wants this because now people are saying, like, piss off. Nobody's going to war. Nobody's interested in fighting against Russia. But the Ukrainians in 2014 were saying the same thing. They gave two per less than 2% of the vote to the Nazis. Now they lost half a million men. Now the Ministry of Defense in Ukraine ordered 50,000 uniforms for female soldiers. They're scooping up women to chuck them into the muddy trenches to die face down in the mud, okay? So this is real, and it's coming our way. 
So we, we have to not be complacent about this because, you know, once, once it reaches a certain critical mass, all you can do is hide, emigrate, or be completely screwed. So now is the time to nip it in the bud, but we have to know what we're nipping, nipping in the bud, you know, and not fall for their slogan, oh, we're, we're against the immigration. Oh, good, you're one of us. We're against the Satanists. Oh, you know, we're friends. You're all masked and you have these uniforms. You look like Nazis, but you're saying the same things that we're thinking. No, that's a trap. That's the lure. You bite, and then next thing, you're had. That's all I had to say about that. That's all? It's all it was it was outstanding, Alex. Are you kidding? <laughs> um so it, no, it's, it's really he's you're absolutely right, dude. Like I um it is a very important point. And the way I put it for a while, where I think we're right around the corner, like the second half of Dune is coming out. And we all, I've said for years, we don't want to be the Fremen. We don't want to be so radicalized that we become so angry at what they've done to us that we're willing to do, we're willing to, you know, commit atrocities in revenge effectively for, you know, in the Fremen's case, it's ten, tens of thousands of years of, of, uh, uh, of, oppression of oppression but right but and uh and colonialism and stealing their wealth and yada 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 and driving them literally to the point where they recycle their own pee in order to live in the freaking desert right this is who these people are um you know it's um we don't want to be that and we don't want to fall into the easy antipode of who these of the people that are you know it's easy to create an if not a then b scenario a false dyad of well i'm not a democrat therefore i must be this i'm not a wokester i'm not a communist therefore i get to be this okay like why do you think communists hate fascists because you know they're two sides of the same coin they're just for different ends right they both want power they just, they just achieve it different ways Okay. So, well, yeah, yes. sorry, Tom, forgive me for, for interrupting you. I'm, I'm interrupting you because I entirely agree. Because if you, uh, you know, the the definition of communism is abolition of private property. And this is what, what right. Davos is all about. You know, the fascists at Davos, yeah. they want to want you to have nothing and, and, and be happy, which is, you know, a nice way right. to put it, abolition of private property. This is, this right. is exactly we, communism. They, well, this they want exactly the abolition the of private fantasy. property, Alex. And 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 the, and so the antipode to that is um, is to say no we, we're going to have um, we're going to have uh, we're going to have a you know, dictatorship based on you know private property or the illusion of private property. Like what's what is fascism? It's really the same damn thing. It's just the state control of the private of private assets, but there's still the idea that there are private assets. We still have this. We have this premature of private assets. Nothing, you know, remember Mussolini's definition of fascism, everything within the state, nothing outside the state, right? Um, but, you know, it, 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 it all winds up being, you know, just these, it, and this is part of the problem of, of how do you deal with, with, with a group of people? How do you defend against a group of people who are pushing you this way? Well, the natural antipode is to move towards a quote-unquote state capitalist model. And this is the trap that, you know, the Russians have been pushed into and the Iranians have been pushed into. And in some ways, many ways, the Chinese have been pushed into. Um, and um, they, they understand these processes very, very well. Because remember, this is all these are all political theories that were created by the very people that are, you know, 
that were thought up by these people and then implemented over the last 150 years anyway. Like this is not or it's 180 years anyway. Marx is now 180 years old, right? So like the, these, this is, we don't have to go down this route. All we have to do is say no. All we have to do is, all we have to do is be solid and stay still. We don't have to react to them. This is, it's, what I mean by solid is it's like, it's, it's one of those things where I was thinking about this in, 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 in interpersonal, you know, at the, at the interpersonal level, you have, you have a, a, a wife who is anxious about the future. What's what, and, and, and what she wants from her, from her husband is solidity and firmness that no, everything's gonna be fine. I don't need you to react and fix my problems. I need you to know, I need you to project the idea that I've got this. I'm on top of it. You don't have to worry about it. It's a fundamentally in this, the, it's you know, the, the, and that's what I'm arguing for in this. Like just say no and just be a node of solidity. Victor Orban is your model. In many ways, in some ways, Putin is your model. I was going to say, isn't said, that what Russian, isn't that what Russia and Putin did through the last year? No matter what well, happened at the start, we were all freaking out that like, they're going to react to Nord Stream. They're going to react to all these different things. And after they haven't reacted like three or four, you're like, no, they're not reacting. They're actually just going to sit reacting. there and, and, the and look at, and, and look at the other countries embarrass themselves. And what oh, you're asking exactly. out of Texas is exactly the same thing. What you're asking yeah. <clears throat> On something yeah. um, very close to uh, where I am, Alberta, Premier Smith, right? Is although she's standing up to the federal government, you're asking for that same vote of confidence. Like, and then when it first happens, yeah. you're kind of like, "Holy crap! What is going on? Are we going?" You know, you go back, folks. Right. I don't know how many seven conversations ago. I was pretty, you know, mm -hmm. like pretty wound up. Like World War Three is coming, and you two right. argued about that. And now you watch, and I'll go back to Putin, love or hate him. He hasn't reacted to all the stuff they've thrown at him and all the false flags and everything else. It just hasn't worked. So they move on. Right. And they're going to see if somebody else will react. That's what you're talking about. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And Viktor Orban in Hungary is, is, runs the same playbook with the in, inside the EU. Nope. We're not giving money to Ukraine. Nope. Nope. I'm not, you know, not going to, you know, not going to get histrionic about it and not going to not going to you know denounce you and scream at you and you know and make and, and make some big move here or there i'm just gonna say no we're not doing that change the rules of the Euro european union if you want me to move these are the rules i'm acting within my rights within the rules you need unanimous consent if you want it you got to go get it from somebody else in the immortal words of trey parker and basketball um so like it, it, it's exactly right, dude. It's like it's like right there, right? And it's like if you want unanimous consent from the owners, you'll have to go get it somewhere else. Like it's hilarious, right? It's a great joke. But it's he's right. Like in this case, and what do they do? He 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 says no. And so what are they doing? They're now they're now saying, okay, well, we have to end the unanimous vote. We have to be able to make policy without it being unanimous. They've changed. Now they're changing the rules of the European Union. And now by doing that, everybody's sitting there going, really? But that's not what we signed up for. And that's, and it's, so it's all you have to do is be solid. All you have to do is act within your rights. Don't abreact. Don't sit there. When, when the bully comes up to you and says, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. You go, that's nice. 
You're an asshole. Don't even say that. Just that's nice. Are you done yet? Really? Are you done yet? Could we move on? And then eventually, you know, he gets tired of it and then he tries something else and then he tries something else. And they attack your reputation. Right? Look at the way they operate. They don't operate like men. I hate to say this, they don't. Like, and I, you know, we're not allowed to have these conversations about the differences between men and women, and because we're now erasing. And notice how they're erasing the definitions of what is a man and what is a woman in order to, in order to rob men of their, their power of being solid and hand the power to histrionic women who fight via reputation. Right. So, got news for you. We're not supposed to be talking, not supposed to be having this conversation, but yet we're having it anyway. Um, make it in hot water with Spotify on this one. I don't know, Sean. We'll see. But it's important. This is the. I'm in you know, hot water everywhere, Tom. <laughs> then you're doing it right. Sean's used to it. Sean's used to it. <laughs> but no, but I mean, I, and I, you know, and again, like, I'm not, it, it is, this is exactly what we're dealing with. So just say no. Right. It's interesting. While we were sitting here chatting, I got text. I got a wall of text from I was, I was responding to by, from my partner. And he's talking about literally what I was talking about a half an hour ago with this Texas State Guard. It's like, that's interesting that Texas has its own state guard, which is only, you know, um, answerable to the governor. And now everybody's talking about exactly this. Well, the Texas National Guard switch. And that's the way you do this. You know, you just, you know, you know, you, you make it. Biden's going to force a fork. Great. Well, you picked on the wrong state. You know, Texas has a state guard. Not under the control of, not answerable in any way, matter, shape, or form to, to, the, to the executive. Hmm. Isn't that fun? Going, to, going so, to the men comment, so then Tom. Then you ask the question of, what's that? Well, going to the men comment, men need to know how to stand firm. That's, that's hard, a, that's right? A, right? That, that's a hard skill, and it's, and it's a lost art. Right. Because uh, in today's day and age, there's more of it coming back, actually, and more of it getting popularized, which is good for kids and other men to see. Right. In some ways, yeah. that's part of what, you know, that's part of what Jordan Peterson was got made Jordan Peterson who he was in the beginning. Right. And <sighs> what he was trying to teach everybody. And, we get, you know, so he's done it. Putin is, is, is doing it on the world stage. I think or there are other men doing it. And that's what we just and, and that's what we we have to look to those those people as our as our role models and just you know like just no sorry not doing it like when you it's the old argument it's the old statement by mises never give in to evil but but proceed ever more boldly against it right but you do so simply by asserting your right your right to privacy private property your right to life your right to your existence your right to say no everybody has the right to say no. there are no two more important letters in the english language in that particular you know it's the whole david chappelle thing there are two words in the english language and not supposed to put together the and jews while there's there's two letters you're not supposed to put together in the english language as far as davos is concerned n and o same thing we're not allowed to put those we're not supposed to put those together we have to say yes to everything oh we have to no we don't we can just say no you know what that's enough no more i i know it's funny when yesterday i was working on the article that i i i, uh, I published yesterday i went back to 
um, uh, I was thinking about the beginning of the yellow vest movements back in 29, late 2018, early 2019. And there was a moment in early January of 2019, and it's linked in the article of one of Tucker Carlson's screeds about what's happened. And it was, that was Tucker Carlson on January 8th, 2019, his opening monologue was a 15 minute statement of no, that's enough. And that was honestly, in many ways, I think Carlson's coming out party. I think it was a turning point for him, both rhetorically and professionally. It was very interesting. I, I, I watched it, rewatched it yesterday. And I was like, huh? Yeah, that's really good. And what it meant. So, um, and at the moment in time when the, when the yellow vests were, it had, had been a thing for about five weeks and then they were no longer in the news. Right. But they still kept going on for what, another year and a half, two years. And they've metastasized into, you know, now the French pretty much until are the pandemic. Down Paris. It went on pretty much That's until up. the pandemic. Right. Right. You know, I never, I never, I should probably start here. Um, but uh, if people want to follow you too, where can they find you? Ah, at last. I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> it's funny. It's only the 11th time and I'm finally like, maybe I should like <laughs> let people find these folks. Um. Yeah, it, on on Twitter, I'm my handle is at Naked Hedgy, and I have a Substack, alexcraner.substack.com, Alex Craner's Trend Compass. So from there, all the other platforms are easy to find. Um, as always, you can follow me at TFL1728 on Twitter, uh, where I, I do my best to make sure the worst version of me shows up every day. This is not the worst version of me. I think that's my Twitter feed. Um, you can follow me at my blog at tomluongo.me, and you can follow me. At, and you can also support uh, all the work uh, at Patreon slash Gold Goats and Guns, where we do you know, twice weekly market reports and the monthly newsletter and you know private blogs and all the rest of it. Well, boys, I appreciate you coming on and doing this. Um, you know, I... I... I think every time I have you on, I think it's very timely. But right now, it just feels like, you know, it, it's no different when Nord Stream blew up. I just feel like, I'm like, I should just probably release this immediately, you know, so that it, it's so, because I feel like in a week's time, it's going to, everything's going to be changing so rapidly, or at least that's what it feels like right now. And uh, I'm, I mean, if you go through the 11 folks or the 10 prior to this, there's some where we're, we're, we're talking about more generic topics. I mean that lightly, uh, you know, because I, but like, you know, it, it seems almost timeless. And there's other times where you're talking immediately to world events and what is happening like now. And uh, there's a lot of things going on right now that, um, yeah, I just, I can't, you know, like I, I thought, I thought we'd had all the excitement we were going to have for a little bit. And I seem uh, to get that wrong. I seem to get that wrong every time. And every time I say those words, <laughs> Alex laughs at me, and Tom starts almost falling out of his chair. And and here we sit, you know, the eleventh time, and there's no dull moment. You know, it, the dull moments are gone. It seems, at least for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I think. Look, I think that we are we're we're in a lot of trouble. You know, the the, the risks mm -hmm. and the dangers are very very real. But I I, I want to also mention that. There's something else going on, which I don't know how to how to formulate it, how to articulate what I what I see, hear, and feel. But something's going on in a very positive sense. People are awakening to the truth and to the facts. That's one thing. But there's also a certain 
it seems to me like a, an impulse of humanity of people finally realizing that what matters is how we are to one another, how we treat one another. You know, it's 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 almost as if uh, some kind of a genuine love for one another is starting to uh, blossom. And I see what people are reporting from different parts of the world. I see the scenes that they record in city streets in, in, in squares uh, of, of, you know, people, you know, spontaneously erupting in a song and they hug each other and they, you know, congregate. And that, that, that all is something. I think it's real and it's happening. I, I have no idea how it's impacting the events that we're experiencing, but I, I think that it's all very good because, you know, the, perhaps the most important part of these uh, degenerates agenda is to atomize society, to, to get this social distancing, to make sure we're shut in our apartments, to shut us into 15-minute cities, to limit our movements, to limit our ability to commune, commune with each other. So I, I, I see that people are spontaneously reversing this but not just reversing it to the normal, but taking it to the next level. And so I think that's very good and encouraging. And, you know, who knows? Uh, we watched the pageant, but I think we're going to a good place. I, I, I agree, Alex. And one of the things I think the, the way to look at it, you know, everybody's talking about like the great, like the new memes are like the great reset to turn into the great awakening. And then the great, we thought it was the great acceleration, but this year, well, that's what they've done. It's also the great demoralization. And I think that's the term we really need to think about. What they're doing now is they're trying the, their very hardest to demoralize us in every way we can. And the great yeah. demoralization is also going to fail. And yes. all we have yes. to do, again, is just say no and say that's enough. We're not going to let you take us out. This is why I refuse to really, uh, for example, I refuse to engage with this thing about the great taking by David Rogers Webb, not because I don't think, I think he's anything he's done is wrong or what he's trying to eliminate is, 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 is inaccurate or anything else. I just don't think that it's going to happen. I think the, everything's there. I think they want to do this, but I don't think they're actually have the balls they to go through with it and they want to yeah, demoralize yeah. it. And the fact that the thing has make, made such a viral has become so viral is both a mirror to how, in how anxious we all are, even though this information is 15 years old in my in my mind, um, but it, it, that it's it's that and it's being purposefully amplified in order to create, uh, to be allowed to propagate, and you know again nothing against David Webb or what what or his research or what he's done or anything else. I think you know from what I can tell, man's an honest actor, but how it's being used, I'm just not going to engage with. It. Because yeah, it's yeah, another yeah. demoralization tactic, okay? Because yeah. they're not going to steal our stuff, dudes. Because if they do, that's the they will be killing the goose that lays golden eggs, and they will all be strung up by lamppost and fed the dogs. It's just that simple. And Agreed. you Agreed. can see that I... by how Davos has now become a parody of itself, and the yeah. way people are talking about it, and the way they're thinking about it, everything that that started off this show that we talked about. You know, is an antipode to the anxiety about what they, you think they're going to do to us next. If they try that, well, I got news for you. It, they, you know, don't don't wish for that because you have no idea how this is actually going to turn out. History tells us that it's going to be a bad it's going to be a bad scene. 
we're probably going to have an actual honest to god you know couple of years of very horrific war worldwide not this year uh, well but uh, well you later. know uh, but i hope but i hope but i hope i'm wrong about that but that is my no, base I, case. I, I don't i don't think you are tom i don't think you're wrong but I, here's here's the way i see it uh, i i see that the humanity is kind of splitting in two you know because uh, yeah we're on a crossroads you know it's going to go right. in the good direction or it's going to be go in the bad direction but what i see happening is that uh part of humanity is going in the wrong direction and part of it is going in the right direction you know it's almost like uh, there's a there's a splitting and i see that the part of the humanity that's going in the right direction i see absolutely amazing things happening you know it's almost like there's this organic growth and in insane absolutely insane things are happening you know like the the completely uh improbable encounters, developments, initiatives, uh, advancements are happening almost as if they're driven by spirits from outside, like almost as, as, as if there were a helping hand from the spirit world guiding this development. But I also see a lot of people kind of, it's almost that as, as if they were wilting in on themselves, you know, they're not trying to find their way out, they're getting lost in in the in the in the madness they're getting lost in the anxieties in the addictions in the all of these things and so i think both things are right what you're saying is part of it is getting really ugly but part, part of it is getting really amazing and i see these things yeah, happening I, both at the same time well it makes sense when you you know when when people have to face their um their existential crisis they can either rise to the occasion or they can wilt and yeah. um, the, 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 the problem for Davos is they need everybody to will. Yes, exactly. And, and you're seeing, and you're not seeing that. Yeah, like that. Yeah, and you're not, not seeing that. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. No, not at all. Not at all. Comfortable wills, folks. People are just getting uncomfortable now. They're reaching it's, their comfort it's, it's, limit. They're re reaching their uncomfortable limit. And they're saying, you know what? Nope, there's another pack over there. And we'll just join that pack over there. Actually, one I mean, of the coolest things of sitting on this side has been the people that uh, have come through the existential crisis and are standing very firm. That, that yes. has been one of the coolest things to see on this side of the podcast. There's a lot of stuff out there that can wind us all up, but there's a lot of interesting people. And I always speak for Canada because I, I can't, you know, I, I'm not uh, touring around the U S or Europe or on and on and on in Canada alone. Just some of the people that I've ran into, I'm like, Holy crap, that's a person right there. Like, Oh, that, that's something to get behind and uh and that keeps happening that's more and more not less and less right it's not it's and not like it's, i bump into those exactly. once every in a while that's, that's exactly, happening more and more that's exactly what i was talking about that's exactly it and 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 to be honest with you guys this is and this is not to bust our hands patting ourselves on the back or anything but this is the goal this is the job that we have set for ourselves this is the task we the three men sitting here right now talking about this have set for ourselves to help facilitate and it's working. Yes. And it's a it's both tremendously gratifying and a tremendous freaking burden. And a tremendous yeah, opportunity. And, and you know, uh, uh, it's not it's not just the three men sitting here. It's it's literally of tens not. of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people doing exactly the same. So it's Absolutely. having it's having a real moving power. Yeah. You, with it, you you inspire people to be better. Yeah. And I get this yeah. day in and day out. I get. DMs from patrons. I get 
DMs from people, from readers or listeners or want or, and, and every day. And they say the same thing. And they and they say the most unbelievable things that all I can do is go, yeah, I'm going to I have I have to get up tomorrow and live up to that. Right. Yes. Every fucking day. And you know what? Good. Because I've been telling yeah, I've been telling this story, way, Tom. I've been telling this story a couple times now uh, since I came from went to Tucker Carlson, took my wife and. uh you know, I love you, hon, but, uh, she, she's not a big Tucker Carlson follower. She doesn't, you know, she leaves a lot of this to me, which is, which is totally fine in my books. Um, and saying that we're leaving Roger's place and a lady stops me and says, Sean Newman, how are you doing? Whatever. And she's talking to me. She could, can I take you and your wife's picture? And, uh, my wife's got, well, no, I'll just take your, you, you get in. And she's like, well, actually, no, I'd like a picture of you two. And, uh, you could tell my, my wife's kind of like, well, why? And she goes, well, because Sean talks about marriages all the time, talks about how a man's supposed to treat a woman and like all these different things that at times I, I think I talk about and other times I'm like, I, I don't, I don't remember saying all those things. Right. I just talk about how I live my life, but it was super cool to be stopped of all the places at a Tucker Carlson show with thousands of people and to get picked out of a crowd. And then, ha and my wife's like, oh uh, yeah, I guess. And so she's, you know, I'm like, that's cool. Like of all the things that a listener has stopped me for is to take a pic, not to get a picture with me, to have a picture of me and my wife to, for that thought to be out there. I'm like, yeah. well, yeah. I'm doing my job somewhat, you know, because yeah. I, I'm like, they keep attacking. COVID was the breakup of the marriage was the breakup of the family was the breakup of all these friend groups was the breakup of talking to your fellow um, countrymen. And yeah. for that to be sticking out there, I'm like, Okay, I may not be getting everything right, but I think that's a cool thing to have experienced here in the last week. But that's exactly, Tom, that's exactly, uh, Sean, that's exactly, we don't have to get everything right. There's so many of us that if you get something wrong, somebody will set you straight really fast. You're going to say like, hey, Sean, you know that thing you said, that's not how it is, this is how it is. And you're going to go like, oh, okay, cool. So, you know, like we're, we're th this whole process is refining the truth and the meaning and the and the and the culture and the spirit and everything that makes us who we are and what we are as opposed to who and what they want us to be you know davos overtly explicitly say that the great reset changes what it means to be human and we are telling them no we already know we're discovering it ourselves and it's awesome isn't it it is. It is. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks. Thanks Amen. for coming on, boys, and doing this. That's one way to end it off. You know, I used to bug you guys about not being positive enough. I think either I'm infecting you or the world's infecting all of us or something. Because I, as much bad stuff, I hear a lot of positivity and I like it. So you boys have a great one. And uh, no worries, folks. We'll have them back on in February here. So thanks. Thanks, fellas, for hopping on. Pleasure. Take care. Thank you, Tom. You are.